Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Despite the surge in hunger, sluggish supply chains, and transportation woes that have drastically delayed food production, delivery, and availability since the coronavirus outbreak more than 20 months ago, cross-disciplinary experts at the global design firm IDEO say the food system is not broken. Rather, the IDEO team argues it is working exactly as designed, but the strain placed on it during the pandemic has exposed it for what it is— an outdated system riddled with systemic inequalities that pit affordability against nourishment and which prizes the low-cost production of food at scale over nutrient density at expense of people's health. And the fallout from this system, according to IDEO, isn't new either. It has been holding back generations of people from reaching their full potential. Which is why the team at IDEO Design for Food Studio are committed to rethinking the food system at every level, from the farm to the manufacturer to the consumer, so that people and the planet are at the center and they no longer need to choose between healthier options and convenience. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, IDEO Senior Design Director Rachel Maloney tackles big questions about how to reimagine a more functional and equitable food system and the role that different industry players have in improving the quality and health of the food and the planet. She also explores how shifting the idea of so-called staple foods to more nutrient-dense options and improving access to healthier food could impact the broader socioeconomic landscape. Finally, she shares concrete advice about the best and the worst ways to help consumers improve their diets, all without getting lost in or overwhelmed by the overarching challenge ahead. So since the start of the pandemic, when grocery store shelves were suddenly bare and farmers, ranchers, and dairies were forced to destroy food and herds because they couldn't process or ship them fast enough and in the necessary form, stakeholders across the food industry alongside legislators, consumers, and public health advocates have all called for a collaborative new approach to, quote, fix the broken food system. But according to Maloney, to more efficiently grow, manufacture, and deliver food that is better for the people and the planet starts with the realization that the current food system isn't actually broken. Once stakeholders realize this, Maloney says they can brainstorm solutions for specific shortcomings of the current system, such as the gradual consolidation of farms and manufacturers, that concentrate decision-making power into the hands of a few who might not always prioritize the best interests of the masses. Um, we did design this system, uh, and we just happened to, to really design it for efficiency and scale. Um, and so it is sort of operating in the way we intended and as we designed it. Um, and we did this really to you know, feed a growing population in the most kind of cost-effective way. But with a lot of highly efficient systems, when we designed it, we didn't really leave a lot of room for air, and we didn't really design it for resiliency. I mean, obviously, in the pandemic, we kind of saw both extremes, both sides of this, where we were seeing like an over surplus of food being dumped, while many were clearing grocery store aisles and kind of lining up at, at food banks. And so I think the pandemic really brought this to the forefront for a lot of people. But, you know, as you know, 
the impact of our food system has, has been ongoing. None of these are, are new problems. Right? Even before the pandemic, as you know, a lot of millions of people in the U.S. went hungry. I think in 2019, the U.S. Department of Agriculture estimated that over 35 million people were food insecure, so meaning that they didn't have reliable access to affordable and nutritious food. And I think in addition to that, with millions being food insecure, obviously the impact of this kind of hyper-efficient system that we have is really one of the major contributors to climate change. And now it's sort of at a scale of operation that is, is very hard to, to flex and, and adjust. I think one of the ways that um, efficiency has, has played into this and what's happened and sort of created this is that for decades um, there has been consolidation in our food system with sort of key players. And not just in farming practice, but also there's a connection between consolidation on farms and consolidation in, in the food industry. And what that means really is that right now there's really only a few companies that are deciding kind of what is grown and, and what's available to store. So it's not just a farm or agricultural problem. It's really a system-wide problem. Um, and, and some of this is really making food less available and, and actually less affordable for, for a lot of Americans. I think this consolidation has kind of placed important decisions about our food system in the hands of kind of very few large companies, kind of giving them immense influence and power to make decisions about what food is produced and, and how it's produced and, and even who gets to eat it. So I think, you know, with, with some of that, with some of this consolidation in production specifically, you know, we've seen um, price fixing happening. We've seen the potential for when there is kind of major impact on, on a supply, uh, when there are disruptions. Some of those disruptions are centered, you know, when they're centered on fewer sites, like we saw in the pandemic with meatpacking, um, it, it, it plays a much bigger, has a much bigger impact. I will say, though, with, <laughs> even with that um, explanation and sort of overview, uh, even with all of these threats, uh, threats to our food system, we definitely still believe in the power of, of redesigning systems. So as I said in the start, we did design our way into this. It is working as we designed, uh, but we do believe at, at IDEO that we can design ourselves out of this problem. And we do that by sort of constantly asking questions about um, where to start, how to design a food system that really nourishes everyone. With a problem this complex, identifying a single starting point is impossible. And any attempt to do so likely would result in finger pointing and misdirected blaming that could blind different players to their role in the current situation or delay their adoption of positive changes. So the first step in redesigning the food system is for everyone to recognize the roles and responsibilities of individual players within the bigger system. It is kind of daunting and it's pretty overwhelming, but I think if you can see your place in it and see who and how you're connected to others within this system, you then understand sort of which responsibility, what responsibility lies um, with you. And so I think that's, that's sort of step, step one. According to Maloney, for manufacturers working with farmers to source ingredients, this means rethinking the impact of procurement on the nutritional value of finished products and the environment. Procurement contributes to a lot of the, the problems that we see in our food system, such as overproduction uh, being one. In, in 2019, there was a study by Santa Clara University that found that uh, American specialty crop growers overproduced by as much as 30% to kind of ensure that they meet contract specifications. 
We also see reinforcement and in intensive farming approaches in order um, to, to meet these demands. And really a lot of the shift, uh, or a lot of the, the risk shifts to uh, the grower when it comes to um, diversifying operations and really putting, putting that on, on growers as opposed to manufacturers sort of playing a role in what they source and what they ask for um, to help sort of share some of that risk. So I think what that means uh, for manufacturers is really not just focusing on product design in itself anymore and really creating, you know, not just creating products that, that respond to the market, uh, but really starting to understand how the products that are produced have an environmental impact. Maloney also argues manufacturers need to take responsibility for emissions generated upstream to fill their orders. This may include working with farmers to adopt more environmentally friendly protection practices, including sharing the risk or helping offset the costs associated with transitioning to alternative farming techniques that are better for the planet, or working with suppliers to reformulate products to use more upcycled ingredients. Companies are going to be held more responsible for, for their emissions, and not just emissions that they're sort of directly responsible for today, such as scope one and two, but also kind of scope three emissions. Um, and that's really a, a result of the entire supply chain. This is hard, I think, for, for free companies. Like, how do you really think about designing a new system with stakeholders kind of across the supply chain, adopting new regenerative practices to reduce carbon footprint while still kind of operating business um, in, in the current state? And so, as I said, some of the work that our food team is currently doing is really looking at how we can kind of leverage corporate procurement to, to mainstream regenerative practice and regenerative agriculture. The way that we're doing this is really happening with kind of a collaborative uh, coalition that we bring together. And these are big players in the industry and sometimes even competitors um, that kind of come together to help tackle some of these issues. For, for manufacturers, I think some of the ways in which they can start to, to do this and start to think about supply chain and how they source uh, really comes down to um, potentially using more regenerative, um, regeneratively produced ingredients, using more upcycled ingredients. And even though I think we understand that this is going to require some investment in infrastructure, um, it really is something that, um, that is going to have to sort of be taken responsibility for pretty soon here when we really start to think about the demands of um, and the regulation for, for, for climate change impacts. Because manufacturers are literally stuck in the middle between producers and consumers, Maloney says they have an outsized role in redesigning the food system that requires them to work not just with farmers, but also shoppers to help them rethink and expand what they consider quote-unquote staple foods. She added that by broadening the definition of and access to healthy staples, manufacturers could also help make the new food system more equitable. Today, a lot of our current recommendations for healthy eating, it doesn't really represent culturally diverse food options. Um, I think health means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, and, and healthy food is the same, right? Uh, it has a lot of different, it shows up in a lot of different ways and it means a lot of different things for people. So we need more diverse kind of culturally appropriate foods. Um, this really kind of goes back to access. Um, how do we kind of start to give agency back to communities so that they can they can determine what staples are appropriate and, and desired. And so I think if we're starting to talk about kind of what, um, what does it look like to have more nutrient-dense foods that are more desirable, it, it really just depends on who we're talking about, right? I think that um, really 
in the past, like mainstream food, it has been homogenized to kind of satisfy the sort of perceived American diet. And I think there are food staples that we see today that are the result of consolidation, the result of subsidies, and kind of a focus on, on manufacturing shelf-stable foods. I think this, this can and often does leave um, minority communities to kind of experience shame for the foods that they represent, uh, that represent their identity. To really pull this off, Maloney says we'll require buy-in beyond just food manufacturers and farmers to include retailers, diet influencers such as celebrity chefs, and stakeholders representing a broader social structures to ensure previously overlooked consumers have the necessary resources to access nutritious foods that represent their cultures once they are produced in large quantities. Really, you know, what we're talking about is, is access, right, is access to food. Um, and when we talk about that, we're talking about kind of some of the underlying systems that um, have sort of enabled um, hunger and lack of access. This is really about communities sort of lacking basic resources, resources that have been withheld. And this has to do with fragile infrastructure, underfunded schools, access to job opportunities that pay a living wage. And so um, having access to healthy food um, is really, again, about, it's about shifting power. And as I said, it's sort of giving agency back to these communities so that they can kind of build the health and wealth amongst themselves. I think that the, the lack of access to kind of fresh, healthy, affordable food and culturally appropriate food is, is just one piece of it. Um, and, and these are systemic issues. Food is certainly central to it, but it's kind of just one component. And so really, we just need to think about how do we sort of bring um, people that are most impacted um, into the room when we think about solving, solving these problems. There's a few things that come to mind. There's a few things I think we can start to do um, to, to help. So I think one is, is replacing the, the term food desert. You still hear that quite a bit. Um, but really the word desert implies kind of a natural occurrence, a landscape that is absent of vegetation and life. Um, it's also a term that didn't really originate from the community that is impacted. So Karen Washington, she's a, a food justice activist. She really coined the phrase food apartheid, um, which is a more, more accurate and also sort of gives agency into how some of these communities talk about disparity. It really kind of points to the discrimination of communities of color when it kind of comes to uh, economic opportunities. And when we think about collaboration, when we think about how some of the larger um, organizations play a role, it's bringing some, um, it's bringing those people to the table. It's giving those people agency and resources back to do the great work that they're doing. Um, I would say some of, the, some of the people that come to mind, um, Bryant Terry is an African-American vegan chef and food justice activist, um, is doing great work in this space. Uh, Sean Sherman, who is committed to revitalizing Native American cuisine, um, has authored uh, cookbooks as well as started nonprofits. Um, to, to really sort of like bring back indigenous cuisine, which actually had so much health and plant knowledge inherent in it. But a lot of that was, was lost. So, you know, I think as these food companies begin to kind of reimagine um, their product portfolios and what that looks like, it, it really has to do um, with sort of keeping, keeping biodiversity in mind, um, thinking about new flavors and textures and ingredients um, that can actually make some of these foods healthier and more delicious. And, the great side, uh, the great thing is it also sort of brings back health, right, to our planet by revitalizing our, our soil. So it's, um, it sort of has uh, two positive sides to it. 
If all of this sounds hard, that's because it is. And that's why Maloney stresses no one player can transform the food system alone. Everyone has a role and responsibility, and she says they all must work together. From a consumer side, um, if we think about um, ownership and what consumers can do, um, it, there, there are things that can be done. Um, I think, firstly, it is sort of just being aware of what you need for your own personal health, what, what makes you feel good, um, and then starting to kind of identify, like, who has the ability uh, to give you that support and effort. And this can mean uh, supporting local farming practices or markets and businesses. Consumers do hold um, a certain level of power with, obviously, how they purchase. And there has been effort, um, obviously, in labeling for nutritional content, um, for, you know, growing practices, but I think we're now we're, we're going to see um, that labeling support kind of the wider ecosystem. And so I think consumers do have the ability to, uh, to make smarter choices. Um, one of these examples is the Equitable Food Initiative. Um, so they are working on an EFI certification that you can actually we'll start to see on PAC that really supports workers' health and safety. Um, and so that's, that's something to, to, to look for. While Maloney stresses that most of the heavy lifting and redesigning the food system will fall on industry players, including retailers, manufacturers, and suppliers. But she said consumers also have a role to play in identifying what they need to be healthy and supporting those who provide it, rather than settling for the status quo or simply taking what's offered. The call to action is don't do this alone, right? When we're sort of thinking about tackling the challenge of this size, it, it has to take collaboration. Um, it is so interconnected that you have to consider a very diverse set of needs. And the biggest and the gnarliest food system challenges are just, they're too large for any one organization or consumers to solve alone. And so I think that we need to find ways to um, kind of share uh, both the risk and the reward as we start to address this. And, and human-centered design really allows us to think about um, kind of all of the, the players involved, right? Again, that's, that's sort of the role that, that we get to play is really um, kind of bringing people to the table, focusing on one aspect of the problem, and then sort of zooming out to understand how it affects the larger system and how it points to sort of the next opportunity to, to redesign. So that would be my call to action is <laughs> uh, remember that you're not alone. Remember that this is a collaborative effort. Uh, remember that we all need to do this collectively. Um, and it takes, uh, you know, thoughtfulness and respect for, for everyone within the system and everyone that, that it touches. Even with teamwork, redesigning the food system is a daunting process. So to keep from becoming overwhelmed, Maloney urges stakeholders to just start somewhere, anywhere, and know that small changes will compound each other to eventually create a big change. And with that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and will join me again for another in the future. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.